Welcome to the Mesa. This is a podcast where we come together with friends to talk about life, church, and ministry. And we encourage you to please sign up uh, to all our episodes. And the way you do that is press like on this podcast, as well as you can check out our YouTube channel and you could see the video of our presentation. We're so excited. This year we're celebrating 40 years at FMD as it was acknowledged and recognized as a district of the Assemblies of God. And today we are so so excited we have a special guest with us in our first podcast and today we have Reverend Eddie Rodriguez which was currently or rather currently pastoring uh, at a church in West Palm Beach as well as uh, for many years was an evangelist an author of a book and also was previously the superintendent of the Florida Multicultural District which back then was Southeastern Spanish District so uh, why don't you uh, help me welcome our guest today, Reverend Eddie Rodriguez, a good dear friend of us. Eddie, it's so good to have you with us Amen. in this first episode of first our episode. podcast, La Mesa. That's wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to uh, share and be the first one oh my in goodness. this endeavor that is going to bless so many people. Awesome. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great blessing for our for our fellowship. Yeah. Well, Eddie, you're definitely a very uh, special guest to me personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've uh, done ministry for many years together, and uh, yeah. I had the privilege and honor uh, where you gave me my uh, counseling classes before I got married with my wife Margie. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you married us uh, here yeah. in the city of Orlando. Uh, didn't know, but just a few years after that, uh, I, you installed me in our first pastorate at uh, Viva Church in Orlando, Florida. And uh, I was kind of a rebel there for a while, so it took me a few years before I decided to get ordained. I'll tell you, we, uh, <laughs> I, to me, it, 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 st- it sticks in my mind that day you walked into my office so sad and so decided not to be the pastor uh, you because you didn't know Spanish. <laughs> yeah. And you you cried. I mean, you said, yeah. I, "I'm not ready. I can't." And and I said, "You know, you know, Abner, uh, just take it for a little while, and I'll, we'll find somebody." And uh, how many years has that been that you've been in, in, Jeez, in life church? I want to say it's 28 years. Yeah, you, tw- we're still <laughs> waiting for somebody. It's 28 years. I later, have. Right? You know, that that was actually the story for the first few years. I was always like scouting who's going to take over. Yeah. I thought it was a temporary assignment. God Amen. knows best. Amen. Man. Amen. But uh, then shortly after that, after the installation, uh, you were able to uh, anoint me with oil in my in the ordination service. So, uh, again, as I, I've said many occasions, uh, you're a very special person to mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've walked with us, and uh, you've seen our district develop in so many different ways. But, you know, let's Amen. jump into that this morning, or let's go ahead and, uh, you know, I'd love to uh, the audience to hear a little bit about, you know, what age you started ministry as an evangelist. And I think that's pretty impressive. And uh, and later on, you could tell us how many years it's been in ministry too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I started preaching at 15 years old. Uh, Nino said that uh, I was from the Salonican as a young man, uh-huh. and Nino said that uh, you know the young people were not serving the Lord, and they would call me "Avien el Santito," you know, because I I got radically saved and I started preaching in the streets. And I didn't like preaching in churches. I mean, pastors would invite me to go to their churches, and I, I refused mm. because I felt that the souls were in the streets. And um, at 16, I started traveling to different countries, uh, preaching. And uh, when I got married at 18, wow. and then uh, Brother Carrion, 
Adolfo Carrion, and my dad was a presbyter, as a matter of fact. Uh, they said, there's a church in Yonkers that no, nobody wants. You know, they can't give you a salary. I was still in, in Bible school. Jeez. And they said, why don't you take it over? Because you're not doing anything. I never felt a call to the pastorate. Never. I always wanted to be an evangelist. And uh, I said, well, I told him, well, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm in school. So uh, I took it over and I was there for 10 years. And, and it happened. same thing happened with you, uh, with me. Uh, I didn't know any Spanish. Look at that. Uh, and I, uh, the members would always be correcting me because I'm always open for correction, sure. even today. Sure. And you know, I tell people when I make a mistake, don't feel bad, you know. Understand. That's the only way we're going to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I struggled there for 10 years. Uh, church grew, but I, ma- I, did a, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, I, I oh, acted yeah. like... Like an older person, I wasn't myself mm. because it was very legalistic at that moment. Yeah, uh, and, and two years in the pastor, the Lord took me out of legalism through certain revelations, but I was still in the straitjacket. Mm. And in '81, God called me to full-time evangelism, and um, I, I had a team. We had a piano player, a singer. We had a worship leader. We had children's pastor. We put a tent with it for a children's church while I had my crusades, um, and I was doing a. A, a great, great work as an evangelist went to Paraguay and and pl- planted a church with a sixty day crusade in the tent, and I was I was happy till the Lord you know had other plans. I got trapped back into the pastorate. Oh my goodness, it's incredible! <laughs> so fifteen, you start ministry uh, in evangelism, and I understand you traveled even at sixteen. At sixteen, mm-hmm. at 16 uh, and then at eighteen, started pastoring. Nineteen, nineteen pastoring. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And uh, you really didn't feel a call at the time for pastoring, but yeah. yet you were obedient. You walked through that door, and were there almost ten years. Right, and then went back into evangelism. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So, how long did you do evangelism for? Well, full time because full-time. I, I've been evangelist. Evangelizing since I'm 15, and as a pastor, I, I was a pastor evangelist. I would have mm-hmm. a lot of crusades even while I was pastor. Sure, but as a full-time evangelist from 81 to uh, to 85, and 85, you know, I got a call from a pastor in West Palm. Uh, to have a little crusade and you know he told me he says I, I used to finish my crusades on Saturday because I had been a pastor and I figured you know most of these pastors Sunday is the tithe day the offering day sure. so I would finish my, my crusade on Saturday so I had my Sundays free mm. so the uh, American pastor says listen I'll pay your way wherever you're at they give you 500 bucks and you preach on Sunday to the small Spanish group that I have and then Tuesday you can go do your crusades and he paid my hotel, my airfare, and he gave me an offering. And after about three months, uh, you know, the church was growing. None of the group was growing. And he says, listen, I'm spending all this money. You know, why don't you move to West Palm? And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be a pastor again if I keep this up. Uh, and I was, and I lost the moment people found out that I was back in the pastorate, I lost all my financial monthly support. Support. Oof. So I was forced back. I always say that God tricked me into the pastorate, you know. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. So, um, kind of backtracking. So, at, you you got married at what age? Eighteen. Eighteen. And how many kids you have? Three. Three kids. Oh, yeah, incredible, yeah. man! Incredible. My son just turned fifty-one. Fifty. He's in oh, fifty-one. Man, so uh, you could be yeah, my dad. Bro. I know, man. Fifty-two, <laughs> man. I love it. <laughs> My goal is grandson is 27, so geez, you can imagine. Jeez, man. You know, um, kind of we laid that out. Um, now, I'd like for us to take a moment and just kind of flesh out a little bit um, the church today, you know, with, with your experience, um, knowing the church, serving the church for so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you been in ministry for currently? How long have I been in ministry? Yeah. Since, well, preaching since 1967 and a pastorate in 1971. 
Oh my goodness. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. So you've hit evangelism, pastoring. Then you were also superintendent uh, of right. the Florida Multicultural District, which back then, as I said earlier, Southeastern mm-hmm. Spanish District. You did that for several years. So you've been able to uh, help shepherd pastors and help, you know, in church development yeah. and, and other areas of ministry. Um, in the times that we're living today, today, um, after taking all that experience, what would you say um, are maybe important factors to take into consideration for the church to continue to thrive in the current times that we're living Amen. in? I think one of the challenges mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that today's church, you see, we're facing a second, third generation Latinos. That's good. And a lot of, a lot of families, they want to stay together. Mm-hmm. So the kids don't speak Spanish. And the grandparents don't speak English, mm-hmm. and the parents are bilingual. Mm-hmm. You know that—that's the reality. Mm. And as a church, if, if we get stuck in one language, sure, we're going to suffer. The Spanish church is always being fed by, in, in, mo- in most areas, not all, but in most sure. areas, are being fed by recent Im- immigrants. So they—they ha- they all have entry-level jobs. Sure. So you have a church of five hundred, and the offering is very small because they're giving with sacrifice, but. You know, they're giving the widow's might. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if we don't retain our second and third generation Latinos, they're going to the uh, Amer- uh, English-speaking church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And financially, the Latino church is always going to be uh, struggling. struggling. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the biggest challenges is to uh, retain those people. And of course, and, and I'm going to say this with a lot of respect, as pastors, we need to educate ourselves. That's because... Good. Uh, before, you know, when they were entry-level people and everybody, nobody had a college education, you know, you can say whatever you wanted to say with no thought behind it. Sure. And people would say hallelujah and accept everything mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. But the second and third generation people, they're educated. And if the pastor doesn't speak educated, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he could be anointed. Yeah. But if he's not educated and he doesn't speak correctly, yeah. you know, that second and third generation people, they're not going to feel comfortable there. Sure, sure, sure. And it sounds kind of weird, you know, because we want to spiritualize everything. Yeah. Well, as long as you're anointed, it doesn't matter. Sure, well, sure, yeah, sure. it does matter. Sure. It matters your organization. It matters your, your presentation. You know, the first, I always tell people, you know, uh, I went to a church in Miami. I couldn't believe it. Uh, the, the words that were up for the worship, they were all misspelled. And I'm talking about a Spanish church, Spanish words. Mm, mm. And they were all misspelled. It was like, you know, the first impression. I mean, it's yeah, so important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and those are the challenges that we're having today that we didn't have back in the days. Exactly. Exactly. Because we didn't have that 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 demographic yeah, in yeah, our churches. Yeah. So true. So I hear you say two things. Number one, um, maybe the challenge yet opportunity for the church today right. is maybe the 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 language barrier of mm-hmm. a second third generation where they've already acclimated to the culture here in the United States yes um, they, they may be of Latin descent yet they're uh, acclimated to the uh, uh, Western type of mentality. culture mentality yeah. and so now maybe their predominant language has shifted to become English mm-hmm. yet they're still Latino at heart that's right they like the rice and beans they like the the food the culture the music yet English has become more of their heart language, something that yeah. they can understand and grasp whatever is being taught to them. Amen. And whether we like it or not, we're going to have to be, uh, become a bilingual church there because the, the family wants to worship together. Yeah. Why divide the family? Yeah. Yeah, Let's yeah. have a program and, and to, to unite the families where the yeah. Spanish and the English can worship together. Sure. Yeah. Well, obviously, for our listeners, this may sound 
practical or maybe sound in theory, uh, you know, practical, but I think you've lived that in, in your ministry. Oh, yes. And yes. so can you tell us a little bit of how that's worked? Okay, I'm going to say my journey. It's not everybody's experience. Exactly. That's my journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. First, we started um, having an English in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then Spanish service in the afternoon mm-hmm. or later on. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. It didn't work because the families were divided. Mm. And, you know, some of the parents, the kids had to come to church earlier. They didn't have a car, you know. So it just didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Sure. Then we saw, okay, this is not working. So what we're going to do is we're going to put those ear things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the English folks and or the Spanish, when it was their turn, they, they didn't like it because... The preacher wasn't aware that the interpreter is confused. <laughs> he is stuttering, and he's losing the gist of the message. Sure. And a lot of people told me, Pastor, you know, we lost it, uh, the, the, the interpreter. Sure. And they didn't feel that they were part of it. So my experience and my culture and where I'm at, what has worked for us is we have two services. They're both bilingual. One Sunday I preach in English. One Sunday I preach in Spanish. Nice. And we always have an interpreter by my side from the pulpit. Simultaneous translation. Simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Like that people feel connected and yeah. included. Sure, sure. And sure. the worship team sings Spanish and English. We have both Spanish and English on our screen and yeah. they alternate. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's worked for us. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I assume that uh, that has Having both the predominantly Spanish-speaking and English in one room together, which are the family context. Like you said, it could be pop and mom, and then the kids prefer English. But at least now they have a common place to come to worship and and come together. And we got mixed families. I got, uh, uh, you know, Spanish married with an uh, uh, Afro-American or or an Anglo person. And they come together. They worship. They love it. Sure, sure. And and, and it's funny because the new immigrants, the guys that don't know any English at all, they love it the most. Look at that. Because they tell me we're learning English. He said because we look it's at the free words Esau class. and we, you know we're looking at the words and we're picking up with English words, you know, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. love it. That's As a matter of fact, you know, my first language is English. The Spanish people that do not speak English tell me we like it better when you preach in English. Look at that. Because my interpreter is excellent. She speaks better Spanish than me. Yeah. yeah so yeah. and I flow in English. Absolutely. So absolutely. my message comes out better because she's interpreting better in Spanish than I would have in Spanish. She makes you look better. <laughs> Sound better at it. So it's crazy. You know, it's crazy. But that's the reality that we're living in. That's incredible. It's true. It's true. And so I think, you know, that's interesting because we we were once called the Southeastern Spanish District. Now we're the Florida Multicultural District. Yeah. And I've said often that that name really puts a lot of weight on us, uh, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what identity, what are we supposed to be doing. So one of the things we've talked about is that, yeah, even among the Hispanic cultures, there's about eight to nine different Hispanic cultures that may Amen. speak Spanish, but they're subcultures and they're different culture sets. That makes us multicultural because we have all of them represented. However, being that we're located in the United States, uh, and this is the this is the territory, this is our yeah. mission field, uh, English is inevitable. And, and you know, before I forget. Sure, no. If you're Cuban, don't make it a Cuban church. If you're Puerto Rican, don't make it a Puerto Rican church. Mm. We're living, we have Mexicans, Colombians. Uh, I went to a church once that had a Puerto Rican flag in the altar. Yeah. And the music was all Puerto Rican. I told the pastor, I said, bro, you're going you're gonna to lose a lot of people. 
You know, try to make it a generic Hispanic church. Don't extol a Puerto Rican or Cuban. There's churches in, in my town. Phil uh, Hondureños here. Over here, they're all Guatemalans. Over here, they're Mexicans. And in my church, it's a mix. Mm. And some people don't even know what I'm, where I'm from. Yeah, yeah You know, yeah, they yeah. ask me if I'm Cuban, if I'm Puerto Rican, if I'm American. Yeah. And I try to be generic in, in the way I approach people and the way the service is organized. Yeah. Because if you start identifying with one culture, and unfortunately, it happens a lot. You know, in, in Miami, there's all Cubans and all Puerto Ricans here. That's not heaven. That That's not yeah, a reflection yeah, of what yeah, heaven yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And it's because the pastor, his culture, he puts his his, his nation's culture in the, in the worship and in the church. And when you're in America, you can do that if you're in Cuba or you're in Puerto Rico, you're sure. in Guatemala. Sure. We're in America. Yeah. yeah we yeah. can't do that. If we want to reach our community. Interesting you say that. It brings to mind, I think, is Martha Luther King Jr. Uh, says 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated, segregated yeah. time of the week. And I guess he was alluding to the fact that in all our places of worship throughout our nation, uh, we kind of break up in ethnic sure, groups. Sure. You know, And it's it's who we are, too, in, yeah. in story, and people have that argument. Um, but I think you said something very key, and it's uh, I think we're supposed to try to at least model heaven now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gospel is for all language, all tribes. Um, And I think integrating all of them is is probably the biggest challenge, but yet the greatest reward. And, And, you know, as a pastor, you know, you have to start letting people know you're in America now you got to do things like if the if you have a 11 o'clock service don't start at 11:30 waiting for people to show up mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. you're catering to that culture yeah and you're 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 punishing the ones that came early yeah yeah you know when i started pastoring in florida you know what happened i noticed that my service started at 10 people show up at 11 <laughs> so what i did purposely i i to just teach them a lesson at 11 o'clock sharp, I finish. And when they're walking through the door, I start pidiendo el culto. I would dismiss the service. And everybody was like, we just got here. I said, well, we started, you know, an hour ago. And it, it changed there. Sure, it, sure, it, sure, They made sure they got there early. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, because we had to change that. Now, another thing I wanted to say, because I went I went over it real quick. I think it's important. So my wife and I, and, and I say this because this was, God spoke to me so clearly. I went to Bayside. That was in Miami. We uh, The convention was in Miami. So that night, I got elected. I didn't want to become superintendent. I was, my heart was not in it. But anyway, so I walked to Bayside, and there was this clown. I, I told you the story, haven't mm. I? There was this clown saying jokes, you know, dumb little jokes. And then every two minutes, he's passed the hat for people to give him money. You know, and people throwing coins. I told my wife, this guy is going to have to find another job because he's going to die. You know, he's going to say, "I'm morir de hambre." You know. So, hundred hundred meters away, I walked in, and there's this kid, about twenty something years old, playing the piano. I mean. He was an excellent piano player. And people were dancing and laughing. And he had a fish tank on top of the piano. He never mentioned to give him money. He would have to stop, empty the tank Come on. of the, so many bills <laughs> into, his, into his piano and put it back and kept playing without asking for money. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the church is like that clown. But mm. if you give excellence, Ouch. Mm-hmm. you won't even have to ask. People will start giving. So I got all the leaders of our district together, and I told them, no more asking for money, no more scolding passes. We're going to serve. We're going to ask them, what can we do to help you grow? And let me tell you something. My wife and I designed this building in a restaurant on on a napkin. That's how dreams begin. And and your (laughs) church, you know, we bought this land together. And let me tell you something. The money came in, and we didn't even have to really ask. We just served with excellence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You know, and and when when the church does that, because as a church I do it, mm-hmm. we don't have financial problems. Yeah, I, I don't. As a matter of fact, I don't even collect offerings in my service. Mm-hmm. I have black boxes in the lobby. Yeah, I don't even yeah. mention it. Mm-hmm. I, well, I will say, you know, there's a black box <laughs> who one wants to give. And let me tell you, we're financially blessed. Yeah, because people they like what they see. They feel they're being ministered to, and we're respecting their time. This is another thing. Those three, four-hour services, not even the members want to be there. They're going to invite their friends? No. Mm. You know, it's like, so it's uh, all this culture change. has. To, there has to be a change in, in our way of thinking. Sure. So that sure. we can uh, reap the benefits, you know. Well, to all our listeners uh, and those that possibly are watching us on uh, the live stream here, um, just want to let you know that uh, Pastor Eddie's the real deal. Um, I've known him for many years, and uh, it's good to hear someone that's uh, actually practiced what they preach. Uh, everything I'm hearing him speak right now, I, I know and I'm a witness that it's true. Uh, God has given him favor. Uh, uh, to really just do things with excellence, and that excellence has allowed him to prosper in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, our district today is is blessed that uh, when we were just in a trailer, uh, our offices were out of a, 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 a trunk of a car uh, for many years, uh, God used his leadership to actually solidify us and to do brick and mortar to build this beautiful facility on on this property and uh, today over 25 plus years yeah. uh, we're using this facility and it's been a great blessing so uh, Pastor Ali this La Mesa is really so organic it's mm-hmm. non-scripted and so uh, it, this conversation for those that are listening just kind of took its own course here mm-hmm. um, but kind of kind of summarizing and, and bringing this home I know recently you were able to uh, write a book that was very close to your heart mm-hmm. um, I really believe it's a blessing for the next generation, uh, there's so much, um, so much wealth of, of experiences in that book to help this emerging leadership uh, kind of maybe learn uh, through your life experiences and maybe not have to endure some challenges and some pains and suffering if they just learn to take advice. Uh, so, could you just give us a, a quick overview of what the title of the okay. book is and uh, the premise of it? First of all, the Bible says your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Dreams, dreams are given for direction and vision is given for to put it in action. Old men shall dream dreams, young men shall see visions. When you reach a certain age, you, you realize that you can only share your dreams. Mm. And you hope that the young generation will take it and be, it becomes a vision. vision. Um, and uh, when, I got, when I got to a certain age, I, I felt that I had something to say. To the next generation, I didn't want to die without sharing my mistakes and and all the things that God showed me in ministry because I started so young. Sure, and, and I and I wrote it very simple. Uh, it's not a, a theological, you know, exposition on the, the complications of theology or something <laughs> like that. It's a practical guide for young people that want to enter into the ministry. What to expect, the pitfalls, yeah, and the priorities as ministers that we have to have you know i went on to sp- explain about the healing ministry and you know how to keep your integrity and uh, finances and all that other stuff and by the grace of god you know the book has been received well uh, uh m- much more than what i expected and i thank god it, it, it wrote it in, in english and then translated into spanish glad he translated it for me into spanish oh, bless, yes and it's called uh called now what called now what yeah and I think that's kind of resound in a lot of our listeners' hearts. Uh, they know they have a calling. Yeah. Uh, the question is, now what? 
<laughs> I acknowledge that God is calling me, but what are the next practical steps I need to take? Can you share maybe some steps, those practical steps to some of our listeners that have a calling right now? Amen. You know, and they're trying to figure out, hey, what do I do to okay. live out this calling? Well, first of all, remember, rec- you can be recruited, but not deployed. Come on. You get de- recruited into the army, but then you get you need training before you get deployed. A lot of people go from the calling straight to the deployment, and, and they fa- they fail. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen a lot of ministers with great anointing that fail. Mm. Great preachers that fail. Mm. And when I mean fail, I mean they don't succeed to the potential that God can give them. Because even though they have, let's say, the anointing to preach, but they don't have the tools to deal with people. Mm. Like I, I, I've met a lot of people yeah. that are pastors yeah. that mistreat people. They get angry. Mm. They, they strike out at people. That yeah. they're uh, they're insecure. Mm. Uh, if somebody comes to the church that's a better preacher than them, they they want to kick them out. I went through that as an sure, evangelist. Sure. And they're so insecure, and yet, and yet they're called. <laughs> so that's an example of somebody that was called but was not deployed yet. They went ahead because they were called without being prepared. Mm. And the way you start is by serving in your local church. That's good. Being faithful, being yes. loyal. Yes. Doing those little things that maybe nobody wants to do. And show your pastor that you're there and you're loyal and you want to serve because leadership in the body of Christ is to be a servant. Yeah. You know, I yeah, unfortunately, in my church, my wife, now, you know, we're older, so we don't do it as much, but all our lives, we don't sit down when there's a dinner. My wife and I, we serve. You know, we, we're always serving. We're the last ones to eat. Um, so one day, uh, and my assistant pastor, one of my assistant pastors, Sister uh, Elizabeth, guys, mm-hmm. one day she's serving food, and a pastor's wife comes up to her and says, what are you doing serving? You got to talk. You got to sit with me and follow me, my lead. I'm going to teach you how to be a pastor's wife. It was, she got offended that she was serving. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the mentality yeah, of, of yeah, today yeah, is yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I would tell everyone, you start by serving. It's good. Don't wait. Don't even wait to, like some people come up to this, Pastor, I want to I work. What, 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 what do I have to do? I says, do whatever you want to do. You don't have to be, have a title to serve. Yeah. Just start serving. I know this guy went to my church the first day. He grabbed the bag and started picking up papers off the floor. And I said, excuse me, who are you? I'm, this is my first day. I mean, that's wow. what a servant does. Yeah. Just serve, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 Don't yeah. wait to be put. Yeah. They don't love. But you know what? What you just say, it, it, it sounds so simple because sometimes we overcomplicate things. You know, if God is calling you, then start with the little and he will put you among, among much. Amen. I think it starts with serving, as you said, your local church, whatever the need is, meet that need. If it's within your gift sets or not, just do it because mm-hmm. as you develop yourself and you figure out what God is calling you to Amen. do, you become more clear of what you're called to do. Because a lot of times, like you you know, you're called, but you don't know what you're called to do. But if you don't give yourself an opportunity to explore different things, that's right. You won't have a connection to say, hey, this is what I feel I'm really called right. to do. And the reality is this. You can be put in different ministries, and yet that's not what God wants you. That God is preparing you. Yeah. It might take you till you're 30 or 40. Hmm. You know, you can be that's a pastor good. for many years, that's and good. all of a sudden go into a different uh, destiny. Like, like, for instance, you. I mean, God prepared you for this position, and you were called. But it, it, it took him, you know, so many years to put you where he wants you. Yes. So you can actually serve in different ways for years. Yeah, so true. And according to your maturity, that's when God is going to give you what he really has for you. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you, if God would have given me what he, what, what mm-hmm. he, gave, he gave me when I was older, I would have destroyed it. 
You know, but God knows when to give it to you. Yeah, yeah. And in the meantime, you are serving and serving and serving. And not only that, but, you know, now I want to get into the, the other side of the coin. A, a person that's been called to preach, you have to study the language. That's good. You got to, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Brother Pablo Feinkenbeiner, he had a, a, a program in the radio called Un Mensaje a la Conciencia. Yeah. He's an American guy and he speaks Spanish. And he was, his message was so attractive. Mm. He would preach 15 minutes, and it was powerful. And I started studying. You know, one of the things that, one of the classes I'm going to give in evangelism that I wanted to give, yes. I started studying why is he so attractive in what he's mm -hmm. saying. A part of the fact that he was anointed was that he had an extensive vocabulary. He wouldn't say this. He would. He wouldn't say the same word to say something that he had said already. Sure. He didn't use a big word. Yeah. He just used a different word. Yeah. 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 And, and when when you dominate the language and you can preach, dominating the language, and express yourself. Yeah. It's so much better than getting up there and just yelling, and limiting yourself. I mean, we're gonna we're, we're talking about things that are, are inexpressible, ineffables. Yeah. 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 If we don't study the language. How are we, we going to do it? Yeah. It's knowing the language and it's difficult. Imagine if you don't know the language. Sure, sure. So you have to have a, you have to be a student of the language. Yeah. Pastor Eddie, thank you for always being so practical. Um, you know, sometimes you could fly so high and, and you're you're talking so up there with so spiritual in the sense that you lose the the practical stuff. And we all know for our listeners that as you. Uh, acknowledge that you're called by God. There's things that naturally we're going to do. We're going to read God's word. We're going to be in prayer. Yeah. We're going to seek His anointing. We know that. That's just the the the, 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 the basics. Uh, the basics, you know. So we're not avoiding that or not talking about those things. But there are other things that we have to do that are more practical, uh, mm -hmm. so that we do prepare for that calling that God has upon our life. And yes, you have to know the culture. You have to know the language. Yes, you have to be able to have a servant's heart because the bottom line is that's what Christ did. Christ came to serve, not to be served. And Amen. I think there's too many people out there that probably has got the wrong concept of what it is to serve in ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, they probably have seen the the, the, the commercialized yeah. gospel, uh, the celebrity gospel, and, and, and we need to go back to the basic uh, that it's, it's about serving. It, it all begins serving to surrender everything that we have to God in His servant. Uh, Pastor Eddie, as we need wrapping up, I, I see that time's running. This has been a great conversation. Um, I know we've been in conversations over the last uh, year about what evangelism uh, I think it's a, an untapped art, something the church is not doing like it used to do. Uh, I think this is the time, uh, especially the seasons that we're living in, where the church needs to be reactivated with a passion to evangelism. And I think there's a young generation that really understands that, and, yeah. and that's kind of maybe a great place for them to start as well. Mm -hmm. um, so you helping us here at the district starting this initiative, I know that mm -hmm. uh, it's something that's deep in your heart. I know you're positioning yourself to make yourself more available from your local church Amen. to be able to serve our district and travel around and do workshops and really uh, help train this next generation. Mm -hmm. uh, could you just quickly tell us what that well, looks you know, like? The bottom line is, uh, unfortunately, your church growth does not necessarily mean the kingdom is growing. It's just members changing from one church to another. Transfer growth. There, there, there's no kingdom growth. There's ch local church growth. You got a lot of members, but if you look at it, they come from other churches. Ouch. So the question is, are we really growing? Is the kingdom of God really growing? Mm -hmm. And that's where we fail. There's churches that haven't had water baptism in over a year because uh, we've ignored 
the gift of evangelists. Mm. And when I say the gift of, I'm not talking about personal witnessing. Yeah. Everybody, everyone should be a personal witness. Sure. You know, but the Bible says that's one of the five full ministries is evangelists. That's right. And, and we've ignored that gift. Yeah. You know, back in the days, every church would have a week de campaña, you know, crusade. They don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, people are not giving opportunities to preach in pulpits anymore. Evangelism has taken a back seat. Sundays used to be the day for evangelism, and now it's just another day to preach to the church. Yeah. You know, I always told pastors, there's five different type of messages that Christ preached. That's good. To the multitude, which is at the Sunday. That's evangelism. It should be an evangelistic and healing service. Good word. As a Pentecostals, let me tell you, I'm sorry, but as Pentecostals, if we don't have a miracle, miracles in our services, Come on. we're not Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we become uh, everything, anything else but <laughs> Pentecostal. Uh, the only reason why people followed Moses was because of the miracles. Yeah. He was an old man that had no power. He only had spiritual power and it was proved because of the miracles he did. The only reason why the multitude received Christ in Jerusalem was because the Bible says they found out about the resurrection of Lazarus. So what made Christ, what convinced people that Christ was the Messiah was the miracles. That's good. And and in a church, Sunday should be evangelism and, and, and healing. It doesn't happen anymore. The message is geared to the to the church. Mm-hmm. Why? Because our weekday services, a lot of us don't even have it anymore. If we have it, we delegate it. So there's no discipleship uh, when it comes to the pastor's uh, heart. So we have to analyze what's going on in our churches. Uh, you know, my church, by the grace of God, in, in, in New York grew, I mean, powerfully. I think within two or three years, from 40, 50 members, we had like 500. And pastors would ask me, what's going on? I says, I preach evangelism every Sunday. So what happened is this. When the members find out, hey, this guy's preaching to the lost, they start inviting their neighbors and their friends. It takes a little learning curve. Yeah. At first, the members, you know, well, he, he, preached, he preached an evangelistic message. We didn't get fed. Well, hello. Hmm. You know, and then they start realizing, wow, my, my son should hear this message. My neighbor should hear this message. So all of a sudden, you got a lot of visitors on Sunday because the people are realizing that that message is for the lost. Yes. But if we don't, if we don't have that learning curve to our congregation, as uh, an evangelism, is go- it's dying. Yeah. It's yeah. dying. Yeah. You know, yeah. the five messages that Christ preached are no longer like he preached to the multitude, then he preached to the 70, then he had a message for the 12, then he had a message for three, then he had that message for one. Mm-hmm. Those are the five messages that as pastors we need to understand how we're going to portray that, how we're going to disciple people in, in those five phases. Wonderful, wonderful. I said a lot in a little bit. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm excited uh, what this looks like and what it's going to look like throughout our district. Uh, we'll be giving uh, you a lot more information and what I mean, our audience, uh, the upcoming trainings, events, and uh, just an opportunity for us to really tap into uh, the fivefold ministry. As we mentioned, one of them is evangelism. I believe that transferred growth uh, for local churches sounds good, but in reality, we're, are we going out uh, to the un, un reached people Amen. group. Uh, and, and you know, I, I want to honor my ministry. Sometimes when you, when I talk like this, people think I'm boasting. How can I boast? I mean, this is a gift that God gave me by His grace. Yeah. I didn't deserve it. I, he gave it to me, and I have to honor yeah. what God has given me. Yeah. But when I was 23 years old, long story short, I got invited to Puerto Rico to preach in the, uh, uh, this famous lawyer's church, Rafael Torres Ortega. Gotcha. When, I, when I got invited, the person that picked me up said, why would my pastor invite you? Yeah. All we have here is doctors and prominent preachers. He got 5,000 members and he's inviting this 23-year-old kid. <laughs> right? I was very intimidated. Okay, long story short, God dealt with my life that night, got rid of my nervousness and I preached 20 minutes, an evangelistic message. 
Over 200 people came to the altar crying, broken. Brother Ortega took, took the, 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 the microphone. He says, people have asked me, why have I invited this kid? He says, I preached for an hour. And three people get saved. This kid preached 20 minutes. Yeah. And look what's going on. Yeah. He's got the gift of evangelism. That's right. That's that right. is a gift. Yep. And a lot of our young people and a lot of the, our, our preachers had it or have it. Yeah. And they don't, they're not being used. And yeah. they're burying it. Wow. There are people that have the gift to win souls. Wow. Wow. And we, we need to discover them and start using them. Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting that Ortega acknowledged the gift of evangelism in your life and celebrated it publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine if all our pastors would celebrate and tap into the gifts of evangelism that's within their church. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people that are sitting there, some young people, adults, and give them the opportunity to have a mic yeah. and and be able to evangelize. That's powerful. So mm-hmm. uh, there's much more up and coming uh, in evangelism at Florida Multicultural District. Today, uh, we had Reverend Eddie Rodriguez with us. We're so excited. Uh, to all our listeners, thank you for joining us with our first episode, La Mesa, a podcasts where we come to the table with friends to talk about life, church, and ministry. Into our next episode, and Pastor Eddie, we will have you back. I think there's so much more we need to unwrap, and so much more that you can really pour into our audience. So thank you, Pastor Eddie, for being with us. Uh, my thank love you. to your wife, Martha, the family, and uh, the best years I know are still ahead of you. God thank bless you. you.